Father, we need you so much. Uh, we cannot understand the words uh, that you have written down without the help of your Holy Spirit. Uh, they are spiritually discerned, and only those who spiritually are surrendered to you will be able to understand. So, Father, I pray that our hearts would be fertile ground for your Spirit to grow in us what you want, the fruit that you want. God, we love you. We need you. Right now, we pray this. Amen. Amen. Well, let's go ahead and read our text for today first, and uh, then we'll do an introduction after that. So our text is 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 15 through 22, and I will read it to you now. Now, when the sons of the prophets who were from Jericho saw him, they said, the spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. So, first, Elijah was just taken up into heaven in chariots of fire. They observed that. They saw it happen. Well, they saw Elijah and Elisha go, and then they saw Elisha come back, and Elisha parted the Jordan River. So that's what they've actually seen. They didn't, I don't know if they saw the chariots of fire and everything, but this is what they've seen for sure. Elijah and Elisha went, just Elisha comes back. Then they came out to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. Then they said to him, look now, there are 50 strong men with your servants. Please let them go and search for your master, lest perhaps the Spirit of the Lord has taken him and cast him upon some mountain or in some valley. And he said, You shall not send anyone. But when they urged him till he was ashamed, that he said, Send them. Therefore they sent 50 men, and they searched for three days, but did not find him. Remember that? Three days. Look at the details. Three days. Okay, But they did not find him. And when they came back to him, for he had stayed in Jericho, he said to them, Didn't I not say to you, don't go? Then the men of the city said to Elisha, Please notice the situation of this city is pleasant, as my Lord sees, but the water is bad and the ground is barren. And he said, Bring me a new bowl and put salt in it. So they brought it to him, and when he went out to the source of the water and cast the salt in there, he said, Thus says the Lord, I have healed this water, and from it there shall be no more death or barrenness. So the water remains healed to this day, according to the word of Elisha, which he spoke. We're going to learn all about this section today. We're going to cut it up, chew on it, Swallow it, digest it, hopefully it'll stay down. We have seen that Elisha is a picture of the servant of Christ, or the church, okay? His master has gone up into heaven, and now Elisha is responsible for carrying on the work of God here on earth. Elisha is the, he's standing in the place of Elijah, you could say. He got that mantle thrown on him. And we've seen that before Elisha could even think about being used in this way, he had to walk with his master for about 10 years. And in that time, he was tested. And he needed to develop a real deep relationship with God, or with his master, before he could be used. It, there was relationship had to be the foundation 
And we all go through the same test. That was the second week of our study here. We have the same test of our love and our affections and our faithfulness. They all happen in our lives just like they happened in Elisha's life. And then last week, we looked at Elisha's first miracle. So after Elijah goes up into heaven, we saw victory over death. And it's a supernatural miracle. He parted the Jordan River. And we saw that the Jordan pictures death in the Bible. And so God miraculously beats death anywhere he finds it just to prove to us his power and willingness to do the same in our life. Death is not the end for us. Death was the beginning, but death isn't the end. God has victory over death in our life. In Jesus' life, he had victory over death. In the church's life in general, in in Christians, we have a victory over death. And then in the future, we will have a victory over all death. You will be resurrected. So that was last week. We saw that God is just taking proof of his power and willingness to save, and he's just throwing it at you. Okay? And today, we're going to look now at the second miracle. The water in Jericho healed with salt. And this will teach us today that God heals our hearts from the curse. God heals our hearts from the curse. First thing we learned, death is beaten. He will bring life. But God also will heal our hearts from the curse. That will mean more to you by the end of today's study. Right now you're just like, okay, hearts from the curse, blah, 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 blah. By the end of the study, you will know more about that. It will mean more to you than it does right now. So we look at first verse 15, where it says, now the sons of the prophets who were from Jericho saw him and they said to him, they said, well, the spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. So they came to meet him and they bowed down. Here, the prophets, these are God's people. I mean, these are the Christians. These are the believers in Jericho. They uh, get it that Elisha seems to be the replacement for Elijah. They saw that Elisha was hanging around, bumming around with Elijah for these 10 years. Elijah would come and teach him a class, and Elisha would be right there holding his mantle or whatever he was doing. And they knew that he was next in line, okay? But now they're like, okay, well, Elisha comes down from the mountain or wherever they were and he's wearing the mantle he takes the mantle he divides the jordan river he walks across they're like wow i guess he's the replacement but but they kind of wish elijah was still there did you ever get a boss that made you wish for the days of your old boss <laughs> this is kind of what's going on here these prophets they're like all right, I guess Elisha is a replacement for Elijah. I mean, we get Simeon after Manning? Ugh. <laughs> That's not quite as good, right? We're like, ooh. I thought that would go over well here. <laughs> well, look what happens now in verse 16. So they said to him, look now, uh, there's 50 strong men among your servants. Please let them go and search for your master, lest perhaps the Spirit of the Lord has taken him up and cast him on some mountain or to in some valley. And just listen to what they're saying here. They're like, okay, so you're our boss now. Do you mind if we send like our 50 best people to go look for the old boss? 
Because maybe the spirit just threw him on a mountain or in a valley. This is like literally they're like, maybe we just can't see him. Like you can't be the solution here. You can't be our boss now. Well, he urged them and said, you shall not send anyone. Elisha's like, no. Verse 17, but they urged him till he was ashamed and said, so he said, send them. You know, he's just ashamed. Why do you think he's getting ashamed? Because they don't respect him. They're like, we don't want to serve you. We want Elijah back. So he said, send them. Therefore, they sent 50 men and they searched for three days, but did not find him. Hmm. And when they came back to him, then they came back to him and he stayed in Jericho and he said to them, did I not say to you, do not go? So Elisha, he tries to get them to not waste their time, but they insist. And it's no wonder that Elisha is ashamed. They were wishing things were how they used to be. They liked Elijah. Elijah was like the coolest prophet. You know, he had skinny jeans and, and <laughs> tattoos, and he was like, fire from heaven, raw. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but he was, he was pretty impressive as a specimen. He had a huge beard. He was, he was really, just saying that it's all over scripture. It says he had a big beard. Well, it, it was, it was impressive. I mean, he was always like lightning in his fingers. I mean, you were like, when he walked in a room, everyone's like, Elijah's here. And it was, it was a big deal. Okay. Elisha, all we know about him is he was bald and fat and he was not very like impressive of a guy. Little kids would make fun of him. We'll see that next week. But turn with me to John 16. Keep your finger back. We're going to be back. But I want you to see in John 16. And I, I want to ask you guys this question. Do you think it would be nice if Jesus was still here? Have you had that thought before? Man, Jesus, why'd you have to go? I mean, if the whole world could just see you, wouldn't things be better? If the whole world could just come to you and see you do miracles and see you do all the things that we read about, if we just had a movie, a TV program of you, if we could just, if you were still here where we could touch and see and handle, it would be so much better. I've had that thought, and I'm sure I'm not the only one, right? Wouldn't it be nice if he, well, he's not. In fact, there was a three days thing going on with him too, wasn't there? Ah, oh. bing. They searched for Elijah for three days. Jesus was in the grave for three days. It, it all fits together, right? So they say, Let, let's send these 50 guys to go look for him. And Elijah's like, there's no use doing that, guys. He is gone. And this is the way God has decided it should work in his infinite wisdom. Jesus was taken to heaven. And Jesus even told us, he insisted, it was better for us if he was taken to heaven. In John 16, verse 7, it says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. Jesus' main job wasn't helping us. Did you know that? 
What was his main job? To love us. I, I liked what you said, to die. To die. That was his main mission. That was what the Father sent the Son to do, was to pay the penalty for sins. And he said, there was a limit to his own ministry. I mean, he taught for three, three and a half years. And he had 12 guys trying to remember what he said. And they failed miserably. John says, if, if the whole world, if they wrote down everything he did, which I wish they would have done, but they couldn't, they couldn't remember it. He said the whole world wouldn't be full, big enough to hold the amount of books. Okay, so Jesus did a lot. We don't know hardly any of it. Okay, so, but the problem, the thing is, is that Jesus said you don't have to worry about that because the Holy Spirit is going to come and help you. So all that I'm doing for you to bring you into right relationship with God, the Holy Spirit, he is going to come and he's going to teach you in your heart what all of that means. And he's going to use the scriptures that I'm going to have these guys write and it will be enough with the Holy Spirit to teach you everything that I did, all the power that I had, it will all be yours. People want to diss the church all the time. But God has stood by his bride every single day. He has chosen that there will never be anyone else used to bring his kingdom on this earth. No one ever get saved without the church being involved, praying for them, ministering to them, bringing the truth into their life. It does not happen by itself. The church is God's chosen instrument. So if you're not down with the church, you're not down with God. If you don't consider yourself, well, I love Jesus, but all his people. I, I hear that all the time, don't you? <laughs> Well, Jesus I'm fine with, but his church, rah. the people, the guy, his followers are annoying. Well, shouldn't be that way. And the church, just to define it for us, is those who follow Jesus and are surrendered to him. It doesn't matter what building you go into, what teachers you listen to. It does matter where your heart is, okay? The church is not perfect. It's made up of sinners, right? But it is God's, God's garden. It's, it's his bride. And he is producing the fruit that only he knows how to produce in this garden. Some farmers are pretty proud of pretty lame pieces of land because they know how good a farmer they are. And they can produce on this land crops. By the way, why shouldn't you tell a secret on a farm? Because the potatoes have eyes, the corn has ears, and the beans stock. <laughs> I get booed on my jokes. Come on. It was a nice transition. It was getting a little heavy and got a little joke in there to lighten it up a little. And you'll remember it more. Okay, here we go. Verse 19. Then the men of the city said to Elijah, please notice the situation of this city is pleasant, as my Lord sees, but the water is bad and the ground is barren. Now, so the, 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 the Christians, the prophets in this town, the pastors, they were kind of doubting Elisha. 
They were like, oh, let's go look for Elijah. Okay. But the people of the town, the men of the city, just the common people were like, hey, let's give you a shot. No one else is healing our land. No one else is healing our water. So some of the people doubted that Elisha could really replace Elijah. And so they tried to find Elijah. But these people decided to bring their problem to Elijah. And what's their problem? It's that the water is bad, it says. Something is very wrong with it. And literally in the Greek, it means that the water, the water was barren or caused miscarriages. So it could have been with the, the women that their babies were actually dying because of the water. It could have been with the, the animals, the cows, you know, their livestock. By the way, um, every, you know, every time a cow drinks in, this, in the city, it, it died. Its babies died. So how do you get dragon milk from a short-legged cow? I'll wait for the rest of you to get it. Just kidding. <laughs> but these cows are having a hard time, okay? Whether they were short-legged or losing their babies, it was, it was tough. <laughs> Every time they water their plants, fruit begins to grow, but then it falls off and it's rotten to the core. They can't eat it. It's disappointing. And the men of the city, they know there's a problem, but they don't know how to fix it. They, and I bet they don't even know why it's there. Why has the city been cursed? It's been cursed. Why has it been cursed? Why has the city of Jericho been cursed? We are going to find out right now. Number one, there's two reasons. Number one, they, res- they were the first city to resist God's plan when he was bringing his children into Israel. The first city that resisted his plan into the promised land. Okay, so they closed up their doors. They wouldn't, they, they wouldn't surrender to the God of Israel. You know, so there was the whole story of Rahab the harlot, and she goes in, shows them the way, and then they march. Well, it was, it, that was the city. So it's, they were cursed. It says in Joshua, well, this was in the book of Joshua, and in Joshua chapter 6, verse 18, we have the story of this conquest of Jericho. And it says in verse 18, God's talking to, to Joshua, and he says, And you, by all means, abstain from the accursed things, lest you become accursed when you take of the accursed things, and make the camp of Israel a curse, and trouble it. Okay. So, The city was cursed because they rebelled against God's plan. Now, what happened? Achan decided to take some of the accursed things, right? How did it go for him and his family? Not very good at all. You can read it here in chapter uh, 7 of Joshua. Number two, the second reason this city is cursed is that God made a promise that anyone who rebuilt Jericho would also be cursed. And that is in chapter 6, verse 26, a few verses down. He said, Then Joshua charged them at that time, saying, Cursed be the man before the Lord who raises and builds up this city, Jericho. He shall lay its foundation with his firstborn, and with his youngest he shall set up his gates. This was fulfilled 
in 1 Kings 16. And if you have a Bible and a highlighter, you should highlight 1 Kings 16, verse 34, the last verse of that chapter, and write fulfillment on it. If you have little verses in your margin, they'll, they'll say, it'll point you back to Joshua chapter 6, and it'll say, look at that. This is a direct fulfillment. God's words were fulfilled. And it says there, in his days, Hail uh, of Bethel built Jericho, and its foundations, he laid its foundations with Abraham, his firstborn, and with his youngest son, Segub, he set up its gates according to the word of the Lord, which he had taken, spoken through Joshua, the son of Nun. So basically that means that his firstborn died the day he started to build the city. His lastborn, his youngest, died the day he finished building the city. And those were God's judgments on him. So in both of these curses, we have life being cursed. The city is cursed. The curse is that they can't produce life. They can't produce life. And so what they need here is a miracle to have life. Oh, they're alive, but their life is cursed. They can't reproduce. And it wasn't that there was no water in this city. There was water, but it was sterile. The water was bad. The water didn't produce the life it was supposed to. And it wasn't that nothing grew. The plants all grew, and the the men in the city even said, look how beautiful the city is. But they ended up barren, or like I said, they literally miscarried. Everything went wrong at at the most important time. It failed. And so many believers in our church and in all the churches, they can't figure out why they don't have joy, peace, patience, kindness, or any of the other fruits that you can think of. They wonder why they're living a life that's Barren, even though they believe in Jesus, even though they've they've been made alive, they wonder why they are fruitless, why their fruit doesn't remain. What's the problem? Why am I still messed up? Why am I such a disappointment? Why every time I get so excited that this might be the time my life changes, where I finally have victory over that sin that has plagued me for years and years, and I get excited, may I've really got it this time, I, I found the right book that'll change me, or I've, I've found the right church, or I bought the right car, or I started rooting for the right football team. Nothing ends up working. It doesn't work. Because our hearts are still cursed. They have been cursed. We have been cursed. And our life no longer produces the life that it should on its own. And it's so frustrating. And Jericho was cursed. And like I said, you and I have been cursed. And you only have to look back to the Garden of Eden to see the same things in our lives. Remember, number one, it lines up with this other number one. Number one, we, in Adam, we chose to resist God's plan of building his kingdom, his city, here on this world. We chose to resist. We took our apple and we chose our own way with it. We chose not to submit to his perfect and and loving plan, this perfect and loving God, 
who made us, and instead we insisted on going our own way, making our own decisions, being our own boss. See, God's plan was always to live with us, to walk among us. And look how far away our world is from that right now. I mean, even the idea of God seems millions of miles away, and that was never his plan. He wanted to walk around with us. And it's gone. It's a curse. God's plan was for us to live off of his gifts. He never intended us to have to work. That's part of the curse. But that is so firmly ingrained in our heart and our being and our mind, I have to work. And God's, that was never God's plan. He wanted to just delight us with gifts day after day. He wanted us to know nothing of need and want, but just to live in delight with him to live off his gifts. He wanted to provide everything for us. He wanted to be the father to us. We were called the children of God. And we chose working and working and laboring and laboring. God said there would be a curse. He told us that the curse would be death in the garden. Yes, we have been cursed by death. We're in a very similar situation as the people of Jericho were cursed. Number two, all that we try to build apart from God is cursed as well. And I want you to just look back again to the Tower of Babel. What did they do? They, like us, try to build on our own, to reach up to God and the heavens, and it never works. The end of it is always confusion and frustration and disunity. God is too high and too holy for us to reach. It's part of this curse now. We can't. God scattered them and cursed their work. He gave them different languages and confusion because no matter what you build, you can pour your life into your family, into your career, into your hobbies, into your community. It will end in failure because it's cursed. It is. Arnold Schwarzenegger. I, I was going to do this quote with his accent, but I, I will spare you my horrible accents. I can't do it. I, I literally can't do it. He said, <laughs> get in the chopper. No. He said, for me, life is continuously being hungry. The meaning of life is not simply to exist, to survive, but to move ahead, to go up, to achieve, to conquer. Sounds like Arnold, right? Okay, it typifies this idea of, of I'm going to build, I'm going to build, I'm going to build, I'm going to build. I'm going to do it myself in my own strength. Okay? Now, there's something to be said for ambition, but this is self-centered ambition, not submissive ambition in the Lord. Okay? Arnold's not a Christian. Anyone want to argue that? No. Well, 
It doesn't matter, Arnold. It doesn't matter. Everything you touch is cursed, and it has been since Adam. This curse flows deep in our veins. It, it pumps in our heart. And we can hardly imagine a life where we don't rebel and work. It's like, it's so, we think of it as heaven. All the place where we finally won't have to work. I could go and we could go to Hebrews 4 and we could talk about the rest of God and God's plan, but that's actually not where we're going today. We're still talking about this curse. Because every once in a while, someone looks around and says, hey, why is everything cursed? <laughs> like these guys in Jericho, they're like, something's not right here. Is there anyone that knows where real life comes from? Is there anyone who knows what to do about this curse? So they come to the servant of God with this question, Elisha, and he has an answer. And I love it because he says in verse 20, bring me a new bowl and put some salt in it. So they brought it to him. Elisha knows what to do. The servant of God knows what to do. We know the answer to this search for a meaning in life, this search for a solution to the curse. And everyone in the city is cursed. They all are working. Or they're dead. And we have a fix for both of them. We have a solution for both of those problems. He uses a new bowl, not a used one, not some recycled idea, this is a new idea, a fresh idea. It's not some worn out idea. And he puts salt in it. Salt is the cure for the curse. Our responsibility as the servants of God is to give out salt to the dead and cursed world. We can use the salt to free our own hearts from the, curse, the curses that we daily struggle with. So what is salt? How can I find it? How can I grab it? And how can I use it? Well, you guys remember, we actually did a study on that, a very focused study on what salt was in the Bible. And the conclusion that we came up with was that salt is, is the risen life of Jesus Christ. Salt is the risen life of Jesus Christ. Salt is the risen life life of Jesus Christ. Salt is the risen life of Jesus Christ. Do you think that's important? Write it down in your heart, in your mind. There are so many scriptures that talk about salt. And when you have that definition, that salt is the risen life of Jesus Christ, they all make sense. You're to be the salt of the earth. Ha <laughs> I always thought that had to do with my efforts. No, he's saying, please stop trying to be you. Please stop being you. Just let Jesus live through you. The risen life of Jesus Christ in you makes you the salt of the earth. Oh, it's so freeing. The good Christian life is not about you and your efforts. It's about his risen life. Bam. It's an amen if I ever heard one. His risen life. And, and we could spend, we could go through all the scriptures we should, about the, the priests throwing salt on the sacrifices 
meaning God doesn't care about your sacrifices on your own. They have to be mixed with the risen life of Jesus Christ and faith in him. God doesn't care how hard you try. It has to be through Jesus. Well, we could talk about all the different places where Jesus talks about salt, and they always consistently mean the risen life of Jesus Christ. Or you could say the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Look at verse 21. So he goes out to the source of the water and he cast the salt there and said, Thus says the Lord, I have healed this water. And from it there shall no more be death and barrenness. And so the water remains healed to this day according to the word of Elisha which he spoke. So the servant of God, Elisha, he takes the salt and he casts it to the source of of the water, which is symbolic of the heart of the problem, which is the heart. The heart. The heart is where everything springs from in your life. Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. Meaning everything in your life, all your problems and all your good things they all spring forth from the heart oh but i have disabilities and i have this problem and that problem no the real source of your problems is the heart so he says keep your heart with all diligence well elisha he goes to the heart of the problem and he casts the life of jesus into it and it he healed the curse we were born cursed. We inherited that from Adam. It, you know, you can say it's not necessarily your fault, but you were infected when you were born. And, and, and infection leads to consequences. And so all of us are in the same boat of being cursed and having these consequences of sin. But Jesus frees us from the curse that Adam earned for us. How? How does Jesus do that? Well, this is the really, I mean, you all, oh, he just died on the cross for us. And that just, God said, okay, no one's cursed anymore. No, that's not the full picture. Because Jesus actually became the curse for us. In Galatians 3, verse 13, you need to see it, so I'll, I'll have you turn there in your Bibles. Galatians 3, verse 13. It's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, then you get to Galatians right there, the first of these epistles. Galatians chapter 3, verse 13. Galatians 3, 13 and 14. It says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. It is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. This is such a big deal. It's such a big deal. What's the opposite of cursing? Blessing. Good job. Jesus became the curse so that we could have 
the blessing. And so now the blessing comes upon us through faith in Jesus Christ, it says. This changes us. And this is a miracle. This is the second miracle. Our hearts carried the curse like a disease, and Jesus cures that disease. This allows our hearts to actually produce life again, to actually be fruitful again. This is the only solution. All the problems in our city are caused by infectious hearts. All of them. All poverty, all anger and all hatred, all everything is caused by this heart infection. And Jesus says, the only solution to this infection is my Holy Spirit. It's a blessing that I will give you to fix this infection. And so he says in verse 22, so this water remains healed to this day, according to the word which Elisha had spoken. The result of this miracle is complete and total healing. Jesus, he promises to take our bitter and selfish hearts and to replace them with a pure and servant heart. He, he, it's a guarantee. It will happen. How does it happen? As we spend time with him, as we read his word and believe it, faith, as we surrender and repent to him, engage with him in faith, as we grow in giving over control to him, he replaces the cursed heart of darkness with the heart of light. He shines a light in our heart. It's almost like he's doing a holy blood transfusion. And it's like dialysis. You have to go back time after time because the infection is stubborn. But it will be completely healed by Jesus. His life can replace the poisoned blood with his own blood. Now, you have to see this in Romans 5, and we're almost done. But this is like the, the pinnacle, the, the, the climax of our study today. And it's very important for you to see Romans chapter 5, verse 5. And if you're not careful, if you're not slow enough, you will miss it. Because you can just blow right by, but there's something amazing in Romans chapter 5, verse 5. In Romans 5, verse 5, it says, Now hope does not disappoint. Remember I said he guarantees it? He guarantees this change? He says, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out. And I want you to underline those words, poured out. They're incredibly crucial. Poured out in our, what? Hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who is given to us. Now, in my Greek class, we were taught to go slowly, to slow down, to read and look up the definitions of the Greek words and, the, and the, everything, the tense and all that stuff. And I did that in this verse, and I was shocked and blown away by one word, and that's the word poured out. Because the word poured out there is related to and only ever used for 
bleeding. Bleeding. Blood being poured out. A sacrifice having its throat slit. It's, that's the word used. It poured out its blood. And look at the context now of what it's saying here. The love of God is poured out as blood into our hearts. What do hearts do? They pump the blood, right? By the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So here we see this equation where the blood of Jesus is shoved into our hearts spiritually by the Holy Spirit, and it is equated to the love of God. The love of God. I want you to see how important this is. When we say Jesus loves you, it is not some simple thing. It is that he is willing to take your curse pump it into him on the cross, and pump his beautiful, pure blood into your heart, the greatest sacrifice and the greatest love ever given is offered to you through the Holy Spirit, the salt. His life is offered to you, and it will fix your heart. This is the second miracle. This is a miracle, a new heart, pumping new blood. I mean, heart transplants are a big deal in our world, right? And we can offer that to people, a heart transplant, a new heart, new desires, new passion, a heart for God's glory, and it's poured out into our hearts by God himself. His, it's, it's equated with his love. He just loves you so much, he's going he's gonna to invade your veins and change your heart. Who needs that today? Got some hands flying up. Who needs that today? We all do. No matter how much you've had, you need it again, and you need it more and more and more. And it is a process. You have to throw the salt in your face every day. You have to trust him new every day. There's new challenges every day, but it's great because there's new mercies every day as well. This is not a flashy miracle because it's completely internal. It's totally invisible. And the only way you can tell if it's happened is the words and actions begin to change. Why? Because out of the heart springs all the issues of life. This is a miracle that's slow in, in producing fruit, but it will over time. So maybe you're thinking, well, I haven't seen, I mean, I've trusted Jesus and I haven't seen it in my life. What I can tell you is that wait on him, keep trusting him, keep going to him, Keep putting salt in that, and he will produce the fruit that he knows how to produce because he is a good farmer. He's a good farmer. And once you start producing fruit, guess what else he does? He starts pruning you up, 
You know, you get it, and we're all in that situation too, where he's pruning us to produce more fruit. All right? We're going to have a time right now where we're going to turn the lights down, and we're going to sing a song, and we're, we have communion available. But first, before you get up to communion, I want you to, I want you to seek the Lord, and I want you to ask him for his love, to pour into your heart. He is so willing. He's up there waiting with the salt, just like, yeah, come on, ask me, ask me, ask me. With a pure heart, ask me. You got sin? Confess him. Repent and turn away. Run to him. He will fix this cursed heart today. He didn't want to curse Jericho. And they were living there just like, this is our life. Nothing can ever change. No. Miracles happen. And the biggest miracle we need today is fixed hearts. Fixed hearts. Norm, can I use you as an example for a sec? Norm had a really infected heart. Still do. He had a grief-stricken heart. Right? Brokenness and sorrow. It was a part of the curse. You were living there. You were the man of Jericho. And he said, I, I, I have a major problem, God. And you called out to God. You read his word. You poured out your brokenness to him. And his response was what? Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Amen. And that is available for every single person. So would you guys stand with me? Man, if you can't stand and you're just, you need the Lord right now and you want to bow or you want to sit there, you know, do those things. Lord, we, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for uh, Elisha and this miracle of the salt. Lord, I pray that it would be a uh, a real watershed moment in some pe- in in some of our lives today, in all of our lives. Lord, that we would not go to anyone else to fix our hearts. Lord, but Jesus, we would draw near to you. We would call upon you. We'd bow before you and surrender to you. Lord, you have a powerful way of bringing us to the end of ourselves. And Lord, I, I just believe that there's some in here who want to, they want to call out to you, but they even feel too weak to do that. And Lord, I pray that you would just open their hands that are hold so tightly onto whatever sin or whatever hope that they have. I pray that you would gently release their grip on that and they would just surrender to your will to your son, and they would confess their sin and be freed and washed clean, Jesus. I pray you would be doing this work in our hearts right now. Lord, I pray that we would be free to raise our hands 
in total surrender with open hands, not fists clenched on to our lives and to our hopes, but Lord, open to receive the Holy Spirit that you give to anyone who asks. Anyone who's broken and in need, you will come to and heal. Lord, how we need you. 